Yeah. Guys, he said it resembled a hobo village from the 30s where everybody was fighting <laughs> over gristle from yeah. chicken bones. It is, except except the people fighting are, you know, Hall of Fame players and yeah. legends and celebrities. Uh, yeah, it is day yeah. five for Mackie and Judd on radio. Century yeah. overload, it's, day it's, five. It's, if you're introverted, uh, that's the place Judd. to be. I think he called it a goat rodeo. That's correct. That's a pretty good classification. Yep. We get things rolling Spot on. with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Bridgewater in trouble, escapes, a little choke, and Bridgewater with the leg sliding down inside the 20, and it's a first down. All right, Mackie and Judd, we're back here, day five. There should almost be, I feel like this should be like a National Geographic documentary of Radio Row. Like, mm-hmm. it's like the middle of the afternoon in a few <laughs> hours where it's just shoulder to shoulder. It's the state fair on steroids. The football fair. And here comes Terry Bradshaw with 17 PR people. Yes, as he sits down with Mackie and the best. The best part for me this entire week is when a guy like Bradshaw walks by and just starts talking. And like he'll start talking to you, you're on the air. He has no clue what station or who you are, <laughs> and he'll just say, "Hey, what's going on?" It's fun. He almost unplugged our broadcast equipment, which would have been great yesterday. He's had to be very story. funny to do so. Um, seems like an awesome guy. Yep. So Let's start with this. Yes. Rick Spielman yesterday. Usually, when the general manager speaks, in, you know, especially Rick Spielman, he spends 15 minutes attempting as hard as he can to say nothing. Right? Just yep. doesn't want to tip his hand. Going into free agency, there's a million quarterback options. But he said something yesterday. I don't know if it was on purpose or if he was just stream of consciousness. Yep. He may have tipped his hand on the Vikings quarterback situation. Yes, so he was asked about uh, Teddy Bridgewater and his contractual situation. And I will remind you all, although we have not discussed this much in recent months, a few months back, I think Pro Football Talk originally came out with the story that because Bridgewater was going to spend the first uh, six weeks of the regular season on the physically unable to perform list, right. that there would be the option to toll his contract. And that means carry over the last year of his Correct. contract, makes the same amount of money. It just it's, His contract would just extend His contract year. would basically stop from 2017 and, and plant itself in the 2018 right. season. Rather than becoming an unrestricted and, free agent. Where, yeah, and right. what we thought and what we thought is, okay, once he was activated, made the backup quarterback and actually got in for a couple series against the Bengals, that uh, the tolling of the contract was probably done. Here's your Spielman quote from yesterday. It's a little convoluted, so stick with me. Right now, he's technically ready to become a free agent, Rick said. With the tolling, I know you guys wrote about all that. If it goes into that area, it's not a Minnesota Viking decision. That's an NFL and player union issue that will have to decide that area. Yeah. So there are... A million different ways to go with this, but this to me, figuring out what Phil, what the Vikings are going to, going to do at quarterback, is like detective work. <laughs> and we have a very, very key clue here now. All right, we're the, we're the, we're the forensic quarterback free agency. Exactly experts. right. We're your quarterback we're looking, CSI. We're looking for Teddy Bridgewater cloth. Maybe like a Kirk Cousins crumb so of let, some kind. So is let, there DNA from? That sounds disgusting. Yeah, 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 yeah don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> So, <laughs> plenty of Brett Favre DNA yeah, all no. over this place yeah, over the years. We don't need to talk about that. Um, so, hey, he, Cousins was at the Shake Shack like two days ago. Oh. So, here's where I think we start with this conversation, though. If you put the pieces of what Spielman said on Thursday together, what it's pretty clear to me is the Vikings have talked about and are looking at, as my voice cracks, like I'm 13, have talked about and are strongly looking at trying to toll Bridgewater's contract, which means he comes back in 2018 for dirt cheap. 
for like a million and a half. Yes. Yeah. And and what the Vikings also are trying to do, and I don't buy this for one second, but they're basically trying to say it's up to the league. So if the league does this, it's not our fault. Right. Even though they would. So, so I see both sides here. And I've told you this a million times. I will never fault an NFL player for trying to get more money because your career can be done just like Teddy Bridgewater saw. You tear a knee up and, and, you're, and your money-making days are done. Now, but from a strategic standpoint, yeah. it's a salary cap league. I can see why the Vikings would push or hope for Bridgewater to make a million and a half instead of like seven, eight. Right? Now, that, that could be an extra player that you could retain. Yes, and now let, let me give you the last part of, of trying to uh, uncover the pieces of what they're doing here. If you keep Bridgewater at that cheap, and especially if you say, Teddy, it's not our fault, league fault, yeah. you also then automatically franchise Keenum. Because I, I looked it up. Two years ago, the franchise tag on a quarterback, I believe, was $19 million plus. Last year, it was $21 million plus. So let's say it's 23. 20, 23, yeah. Okay. So the approximate, if you have Bridgewater and Keenum at approximately, let's say, 25 plus, that's only about $3 million more than you had Bradford, Keenum, and Bridgewater for in 2017. Right. So I think if you put the pieces together, what the Vikings are very much hoping to do is keep Bridgewater on the same contract, franchise Keenum, and then actually push any decision until after 2018. Yeah, and, then, and, then if, and it's actually, you know, for Keenum, you make him sort of prove it. He had a good season, had five mediocre seasons before that. You say, we'll pay you $23 million to prove it. How's that? Like, that's not a bad deal, right? Yeah. I mean, I get... If you're Kirk Cousins, for instance, you'd like a long-term contract the last couple of years, but to make $50 million while you prove yourself, those are first-world problems if you're if you're concerned about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would be, I think, the leader in the clubhouse scenario if they were to toll Teddy's contract or if the Players Association and the league were to, as Rick Spielman said, hey, listen, this isn't us. This is not Teddy, a, we love you. This has hands. nothing to do with we, the Minnesota Vikings, LLC. Listen, we tried to pay you $15 million, <laughs> but the league stepped in and said no. Um, like if they wanted to, they could say, "Hey, we'll we'll, we'll pay you for what we think you're going to be." But I, you know, if, if you put yourself in the shoes of an NFL GM, I understand strategically. You have all these unproven commodities: Bridgewater's knee, Keenum's sustainability, uh, you know, Bradford's knees. You don't want to. It's 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 hard to even justify spending like 25 million dollars on all these uncertain commodities. Uh, but if Bridgewater became an unrestricted free agent. You'd, you'd probably have to build something for several million dollars a year. Not like franchise quarterback right. money, but you'd have to build a contract that allows for some incentives if you, if you play 16 games or, mm -hmm. or performs at a higher level. But you're going to want, if you want to bring both Keenum and Teddy back, yes. and Teddy's an unrestricted free agent as well, yes. you're going to probably have to pay closer to $30 million, I would guess, for those two guys. And this, That's a lot of money in a salary cap league. This strategy basically pushes your entire decision down back a year. Uh, the only thing I would say is this, unless you've gone to Teddy and his agents and said, here's a, here's our plan. We'll give you a three-year incentive-laden fair contract, and th they've said no, I think that's the ideal thing. I think you should go to them and at least say, hey, if we like you so much, we at least feel an obligation to be fair. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that you give him a lot. What I am trying to say is this to me and I'm not buying for one second that the Vikings can actually duck and say it's the league's fault. The Vikings are involved. Well, they, if they wanted to and, give them more money, they could give more money. Right, like, but, but my, that's my point. My point being is I think the fair solution here, even if you're going to, to franchise case, is to go to Teddy and Teddy's people and say, here's a three-year very fair contract considering you've basically not played or have not played yeah, two years. And since that's you, know, what I you use the word fair, and I would say... It's an unfortunate circumstance that his knee tore up the way it did two years ago. 
But he was paid, I believe, over $3 million to rehab, to get back, to be a backup quarterback on the active roster for the second half of last season. You know, they, it wasn't like he was scra scraping around for meal money uh, over the last couple of years. He made $3 million to come back from one of the most devastating injuries that's ever happened to a football player. Mm -hmm. uh, so if, if you then take the next step and say, all right, you're back, you're healthy enough to at least be on the roster, but you haven't yet proven yourself as a franchise quarterback or even as a starting quarterback, you know, I have no problem with the Vikings wanting the competitive advantage of taking another look at Teddy Bridgewater for well, you know, for a million and a half. I, I would have no problem if they were even pushing behind the scenes for his contract to toll. Uh, because, again, it would save them millions toward the salary. I get that. But In I, baseball, if there's no salary cap, okay, I, I might have a different opinion. I but get that. But strategically, there's a salary But cap. if you love this guy this much and, and think he's going to be good still, how about a three-year fair contract? But do they even tolling, know? Tolling they even, the they contract. But they don't know. They, they don't know. Okay, if they're if they're that uncertain though, then I think you, you probably say we're going to go with Case or we're going to try to pursue Cousins. My point being is I think that there's a fair solution here that goes beyond. It, it rubs me the wrong way that Rick basically said, eh, "This is not us; it's the league." That rubs me the wrong way because come on, you're very much involved. To your point, you could go to him and say, "We're going to be fair here," and, and if the bridge, if Teddy's people come back and say, "Oh no, no, five years or three years guaranteed cash," then you've got a problem, and he probably right. walks. But you know what? Like again, but come on. I, I, I'm, I'm defending Rick on this because. Obviously, they, they like they'd like to take a look at Teddy Bridgewater long term, and they still think there's some meat on that bone. But if someone tells you, "Hey, there's a loophole possibility that would allow you to take another look at him for millions of dollars less than if he were to hit the open market," you wouldn't be interested in that loophole. Being so unsure about this the is, nature of that injury, if this I'm is, I'm going to defend Rick on. Okay, this. but if this is potentially a guy I perceive that I supposedly love and perceived to be my franchise quarterback, guess what? If I still think he might be that guy, I don't want to try and screw him. Okay, but... If this, if this is some but if wide is receiver that I don't care about, then I probably do it. But in this case, I don't. But here's the thing. First of all, we're talking about Monopoly money here to some degree. Like, he's going to be fine. He's not going to be homeless. If Teddy Bridgewater is a franchise quarterback at some point, or a starting quarterback for several years... He's going to make his money, whether it's in 2018 or starting in 2019. He ain't going to go broke. It's not going to be. Get that. He's not going to be like Latrell Sprewell. Hey, I got kids. I got to feed. feed my family. Twenty-one million over three years ain't enough for me, and then never plays again. I get that, but but if I if I think that this guy could be this good and I like him that much, alienating him is not my top goal, and this is going to do that. Isn't it funny? If you though, try and do this, you're going to alienate him automatically. Isn't it funny though that you can pay someone several million dollars and potentially still alienate them? <laughs> I mean, just like if you hey. take a step back into the real world. Yes. Hey, we're going to give you like $3 million to not play. Bleep you. Alienate me. But, yeah. when, but when you we're look. We're going to give you $50 million over two but years. When you look, like hell yeah. you will. <laughs> when you look at a starting quarterback potentially uh. being paid $1.4 bucks, you think to yourself, jump change. But he's not a starting quarterback. In 2000. But the point is, they think he might be. They, they, okay, are, they, they, are, try, they are trying their damnedest uh, to, keep, to make it as simple as possible to keep Keenum Start Keenum if Keenum struggles in 2018. Go to Teddy. What I'm that's saying, smart, and that's a smart way what, to think about. But what I'm saying is, don't get up there and tell me this has nothing to do with us. It's a league and union matter. Okay? You are attempting to duck. Well, what you, you are attempting care? to did, duck did as you, much as possible. Did you want him to get up there and say, guys, I'm going to be honest. We're trying to keep Teddy Bridgewater. Hey. 
through this loophole that allows us to only pay this a is a this dollars. is a police investigation we want to hold the man down. this is a police quarterback investigation and right now I got an indictment for our Spielman <laughs> because I think he's lying about this oh my god that's lying. what I think and and by the way this entire conversation is why if these players don't go out in 2021 and strike they're absolutely crazy the amount the amount of money that this league makes and the way that they get treated is incomprehensible. Incomprehensible it's might incomprehensible. be a little bit, little bit strong. The, the, owners, the owners and management of this league will do everything they can to roll over as many okay. players as possible. But again, again, okay, this is a, kind of a different conversation. Listen, if you're, this is a league where knees pop every Sunday and devastating injuries prevent guys from being the same player. Mm -hmm. So. If players think at some point, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is a great example where the guy was on pace before the injury, even as like a league average quarterback, to make $150 million in his life. I mean, he was going to make ins insane amounts of money, and now who knows? But if you start to open up and say, all right, finally the players are going to get guaranteed contracts, and we've won, we, we went on strike, and we did what we had to do, and now we get guaranteed contracts. Those contracts aren't going to be for five years. I understand that. They're not going to be. They're going to be like one and two year contracts. I get that. But what I'm saying is, is that they need to actually strike for games to get more concessions. It is ridiculous that you can be put on the pup list for six games and your contract can be told. Who agreed to that? D. Smith, who runs the Players Association, was here on Thursday and basically didn't know the rule himself. When the head of your union can't tell, well, I think this is it, I, but I'm not sure if it's a team decision or a league decision. This is the head of your union. Also, shouldn't there be a little bit more clarity? Like, So I, I find it odd that it's ambiguous. So he was on the pup list until halfway through the season, then came back and actually played in a game. He was on the active roster. Like, shouldn't there be a clear line in the sand? All right, if you're on the pup list all year, your contract tolls. Yes. If you come back and you're active and you play in an actual game, it doesn't. Yes. It should just be clear cut, and it's not, which is right. ridiculous. So that's where I will agree with you. Let's take a break here. Uh, we're off to a good start. Off to a feisty Spirit, start here from Radio Row. start, our last day. Uh, Radio our Row. Reckless quarterback speculation has continued for uh, for a second week. We have a really fun guest list yet again today on Radio Row, our final day here. Ken Rogers is the director of the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary that hopefully a lot of you guys watched last <laughs> night because it was incredible. He'll join us in about 20 minutes. Uh, write that down predictions from all of America <laughs> we have at to 10 o'clock. Accountability session, really? You're doing pretty well, actually. Am I really? Oh, awesome. Okay, let's do we, it. By the way, we had two home runs and a triple come off the board this week. Wow. And the triple could be debated into a home run, so we might have okay. three home runs. Uh, also, later on, Todd Furman will help us with our pros or Joe's picks, prop bets, quarterback odds, things like that. Thomas Morstead will join us. Uh, maybe Jerry is right at 11.15. Did I already say Devin Hester? Because he'll be on at 11.30 and superstar oh, Mike nightmare. Morris. Boom. Cool. Mackie and Judd, Judd, uh, fire away. Thank you, sir. Hey, if you're a football fan, I have one simple question for you. Where are you? There are more than 65 exciting events taking place on every level here around every corner. Mall of America this week. I mean, this place has been packed all week. If you like football and you're not here, I don't understand it. Includes the fan gallery in the media center where we are, presented by Microsoft. We're on level three. You can watch broadcasters, pro athletes, guest celebrities. We've been seeing them all week long. It's been fantastic. What else can you do today? I'll tell you about it. Join Chase Pay and Best Buy at the mall Best Buy store. That's from noon to two where they will be hosting a taping of the Super Bowl preview show. 
The show boasts an all-star crew, including uh, Boomer Esaias and Mike Holmgren and the voice of NFL Films, uh, Scott Graham. Microsoft Store, Level 1 South End, 1 to 3 p.m. Join Microsoft for their official Madden 18 Community Series Finals featuring NFL uh, superstars. You can meet National Football League legend and Pro Football Hall of Famer Randall McDaniel from 3 to 4 today at Macy's. While you're there, check out the special promotion and giveaways. It's all at the Mall of America, so if you're not here, I don't get it. you got to head out here right now. Welcome back to Radio Row, Mall of America, where we have been all week long. In fact, just a quick shameless plug. If you've missed any of our stuff from the week, we've had some incredibly fun interviews just off the top of my head even. Like Greg Jennings and Victor Cruz were great a couple days ago. Uh, the Golics were awesome. We had a moment where we had we had three different Golics on our show yesterday. Bob was lurking over the back of Golic Sr., so we gave him a microphone to talk about an obscure Saved by the Bell show from the mid-'90s. Yep, that was fun. That was pretty fun. So you can find it all on demand, Mackie and Judd show page at 1500ESPN.com, and also... Uh, there's all kinds of content from those interviews on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. All of them are at 1500 ESPN. So we can dive back into that quarterback conversation a little bit later. Target Center last night, and then they play again tomorrow night at home, I believe. Yes, but they do. You had, uh, you, Pelicans, you had, I believe, tomorrow. You had the money team, Floyd Mayweather at Target Center last night, Bill Belichick. I saw Antonio Brown was yep. there last night. So actually, Belichick was only there for about the first quarter and sat courtside. Yep. And did a little wave, and, and then happy. I guess as he went back to the grind. So he and Tibbs are buddies, half. I guess. Yeah. And they, Tibbs is a Patriots fan, going back to his time in the, the Boston area. So I did. I, that makes some sense, because yeah, because he was an assistant coach yep. in Boston. I believe when Tom Thibodeau took his little 13-month hiatus after he was done in Chicago, and he visited a bunch of different coaches including Greg Popovich. I think he may have visited Bill Belichick on his tour to Oh, to, to enlighten sort of himself. Feed his own, yeah, to sure. feed his own brain. But it'll be fine. I bet you tomorrow night cuz there's going to be even more. There's celebrity parties tonight. There's the Shaq Jamie Foxx party. My guess is Target Center tomorrow night is going to look like Staples Center during a playoff run. Yes, it'll You're be gonna full see, of like players and Hall of Famers and celebrities. So I would love to hear a conversation Belichick and Tips. Fly on the wall completely. Do you suppose they talk about the strategies in their sports or like how to how to get the best from players because that, that would be something that they could both identify with even from different sports? They probably just talk about how much they hate press conferences <laughs> and media members. You know, Tibbs, Tibbs is a sweetheart compared to Bill. I mean, Tibbs gets frustrated sometimes, but Bill, it, it was it's amazing when, when you see the very few times where, where Belichick lets his guard down how articulate and smart that guy is oh, for sure. because all we ordinarily see is absolutely nothing. Well, and then I think one of my biggest media pet peeves is when we assume fans and media that what we see at a press conference yeah. is that person's personality. In fact, I was watching after the two bills, and we're going to have the director of the two bills on our show in the next segment, so in about 10 minutes. And I was watching SportsCenter after it got done airing, and they had kind of a, it was like a, it was almost like a, like an after show where they had some other footage and they were they were doing some recaps and they talked to a couple reporters who covered Mike Reese might have been one of them who covered the longtime you know Patriots beat writers so what are the rules for Bill Belichick press conferences from a reporter standpoint he said well you're gonna get shut down if you ask about anything strategic if you ask about anything injury wise yes. and made this whole list he said basically if you don't ask about the opposing team that they're going to face, in which he's just going to give you generic answers about how great the opposing team is, yep. you're going to get shut down. And so then people people take that and assume, 
well, that just that must be how he is behind the scenes. Like there was a guy, was it Tuesday night at the Excel Energy Center, the opening night press conferences, the big circus where Bill Belichick was at, suit and tie, by the way, Bill Belichick on Tuesday night. Yeah, very and somebody obviously. Somebody went up to one of the Patriots offensive linemen on Tuesday night at the X and said, so it was a comedian. So uh, my goal is to get Bill Belichick to laugh here in a couple minutes. You know, have you ever seen him laugh before? And I get that that's just one random guy at a press conference, but if you think that because he's stoic at a podium that he just doesn't laugh and joke around and show personality behind the scenes, put it this way. You're not the greatest coach in the history of the NFL without some personality and ability to connect with the people that work for you, right? The football life that was done on him now, what, about two years ago or something, yeah. was just unbelievably intriguing to me because it's that was the first time that you sort of got to see him. And... As far as I can tell, a lot of the players like him a lot. A lot of the players, and he's articulate, intelligent. The interesting thing, though, that and I think he did this more this year in his press conferences. The interesting thing, though, is every once in a while, someone will ask a really obscure, weird question, like, tell me about the gunner on the Vikings. He seems to do a good job. And that's when you get these transcript responses that are a full page. Sure. Because he'll go... He likes that, and so he'll go into depth about a about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is, you know, he and Popovich and guys like that in ordinary pressers at times come off as surly, and people don't like yeah, them because there's no there's no but, advantage for them to right, right. But when but when they basically say, okay, I'm going to give you something here, it's great. As opposed to a lot of guys who just always give you the same thing, and they seem like nice enough guys, but for the most part, it's basically boring. Yeah. Uh, real quick, just a couple minutes on that. So the Wolves beat the crap out of the Milwaukee Bucks last night at Target Center. And I think Milwaukee had won four games in a row after firing Jason Kidd, and the Wolves got up by a bunch of points at halftime. 21. Uh, 21. Just ask Carl that, Anthony. Do we have that audio clip of Carl Anthony Towns at halftime? Carl, even with that last field goal, Milwaukee only shot 38% in that first half. How well did you guys play on both ends of the court? God, I didn't know he was up by 21. I mean, uh, 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 wow. Um, that was a good I mean, first we played well. Then. I mean, I can't say much more about that. That's tunnel vision right there. Oh, that's... I didn't know we were beating the brakes off this team by 21 points. I had this thought. There's, there's obvious excitement around the Wolves, but it feels a little tempered still. I know they're selling out the target center, but it it still feels like like there's certainly not Wolves mania by any means in this town, even though it's one of the better teams in the NBA, and it's the best team we've seen in a decade and a half here. And I think I know the reason why. As good as they are, unlike the Twins, you sneak into the playoffs in baseball and you can maybe win the World Series. There's zero chance of the Wolves winning a championship this year. Zero chance. Like, there's, they, they might win one game in a seven-game series against the Warriors or the Rockets. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even ripping them for that. Just get to the playoffs, maybe beat the Pelicans or something in round one. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think the vibe is a little tempered because you know that deep down inside. Regardless of how well they do in the regular season, if they get a three seed and they surpass the Spurs, you know deep down, unless you have LeBron James or the Warriors roster or, you know, maybe the Celtics or the Rockets, you're not winning a championship. At least in, in some of the other sports, hey, the Vikings get in with that defense, they can win the Super Bowl. Yeah. In, in hockey, sometimes eight seeds get to the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. In baseball, if you can get in and get hot and you have a bullpen, you can win the World Series, right? In basketball, that's not how it works. You don't get in as a seven seed, you know, the Atlanta Hawks a couple years ago. You don't get in as a three seed 
uh, that's decidedly worse than the Warriors or the Rockets or a LeBron team. Yep. So I do I do kind of sense, yeah, this is fun, but we all know it's going to end in the second round if you play the Warriors. So right now in this league, in the entire league alone, there are how many teams that you look at and actually say have a chance to beat in, in the finals and therefore win the championship? The, the Warriors are one from the West, I mean, maybe Houston. Can Houston beat the Warriors in the I think, conference finals? I mean, I think the Warriors are doing the same blueprint better than the Rockets. When yeah. it comes down, I mean, you, some people might say, well, in the regular season, once the playoffs hit, assuming that Durant and Clay and Steph are all healthy, that team ain't now, losing in seven games to the, to the Rockets. Now, to answer so your... I think, there's, I think the Warriors win the championship again. To answer your question, though, I believe that, that the reason why Wolves fever has not even uh, begun to start in this town is this. After 13 years, I don't think there's going to be true excitement at all until the playoffs start. It's just been so long. And so so I agree with what you're saying. There's there's never going to be this feeling that they can actually get in the playoffs and win the championship. But I think the starting point is 13 years, get to the playoffs. Once you're in the playoffs, we'll print some towels. Right. Well, the other thing, too, I... We'll know, wave towels if, around at that point. If you, the, the Wolves have the classic two-superstar blueprint. Andrew Wiggins is a, is a decent complementary offensive third piece. But Towns and Butler are two genuine superstars. And that two-superstar formula worked great 20 years ago, right? Kobe and Shaq, and then fill out the roster. Yep. Jordan and Pippen, fill out the roster. Like, you have to have good complementary players. Steph and KG here were supposed to be those guys. Well, uh, Malone and Stockton, and then fill out the roster. Yes. Those uh, Rockets teams in the mid-'90s, it was Drexler and Elijah Wan, and then they kind of filled out the rest of the roster. Mm -hmm. Two stars ain't good enough anymore. You you almost have—this is a good start for the Wolves, but if you really want in the next two or three years to beat a Golden State team or whoever LeBron's going to play for— you almost need that third guy to also be one of the best players in the league. Which so, is your guy. If you might can, need four. You might. To compete with the Warriors? You might. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's what was what was a championship blueprint 20 years ago is now just a really good start to get smoked in yes. the second round of the playoffs. Yes. But, but to your point, for months now, Wiggins has to mature in, into at least a solid part of that core because you can't pay him like you're paying him and then not get get the value that you need from him if that doesn't happen that's real trouble yeah and it might be to the point where you can't trade him because of the contract anymore you know even if even if a team had some thoughts about hey there's some upside there upside's great when a guy's on a rookie contract still not when he's making 25 or 30 million dollars in a salary cap league i think the excitement about the wolves starts when 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 the playoffs start and if they win a series, we'll go crazy. Yeah. We'll think and, it's great. And in the moment, if they get to the second round and they're playing the Rockets or the Warriors, or yeah. you're going to think in the moment, because they're gonna not, they're not going to get blown out of the building in every game. You're going to think in each game, oh, there's a chance, there's a chance. They're going to lose in five mm -hmm. or four. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. It'll, it'll still be a fun season. It'll be a success. But I think that's part of the reason why. In the, in the back of your head, you know how it's going to end. And so it's hard to get super excited about it because championship is not at the end of the rainbow. Let's come back. Mackie and Judd from Radio Row. Mall of America, the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The Two Bills, debuted last night, and it's incredible. If you haven't watched it yet, you know, go find it sometime this weekend. We're going to sit down and talk with the director of that documentary, Ken Rogers, when we come back. Mackie and Judd, Radio Row. Mackie and Judd, welcome back to Radio Row, Mall of America. You can go to mallofamerica.com to find all of the events associated with Super Bowl 52. Again, mallofamerica.com. And Judd and I were raving about this on yesterday's show. We uh, we had a little sneak peek early screening of what I think might be one of the top five 30 for 30s 
that's ever been produced. And the guy who directed it and who's been involved as a director and a producer for NFL Films for a number of years, Ken Rogers, is with us right now. Okay, first question for you. How long did it take, or what was the process to get those guys in a room? I mean, it's not that, I mean, they, they've made up for, it's not like they have this falling out that needed to be bridged for 10 years, but just to get those two guys in a room, what was that yeah. process like for you? It was easier than getting here through the Mall of America. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good luck. It, Kirk Cousins waited in line at the Shake Shack yeah, yesterday, yeah. for God's sake. Well, I got stuck at the Chick-fil-A, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I made it here. So it was actually easy to get them to agree because they both really have a lot of respect for each other and were really into sitting down, which was shocking. I mean, I mentioned it to Belichick. And it was about three seconds. He said, sure, I'll do that. Uh, that. That has a lot to do with his respect for Steve Sable and the history of NFL films, of course. But uh, Parcells heard that Belichick would do it. He said, sure, I'll do that. Then it took three years to get it scheduled. Wow. <laughs> so um, was it hard to do? It was easy and hard. So uh, the three years it wasn't because of any animosity. It was just they're, they're not going to clear their schedules for me. It's not like they said yes and said, yeah, I'll come over to your house tomorrow, Ken, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll sit down in the basement, we'll film it, sure, whatever you need for this documentary. They're not that type of guy. So uh, it took a while to schedule, but once they got together, it was well worth it, as you saw. What surprised you? I mean, if, if you, you had expectations going in, were, were, there, were there things – that you didn't see coming that you got from them yeah my expectations uh, were really limited because i had no idea you know i i wondered if i would have to play role of mediator you know i didn't know whether their relationship was fully back together or not and what surprised me and what i realized really after the fact was that it was clear they hadn't talked about their history together before this sit down they had kind of gotten back together in this great story that's in the film uh in nantucket uh around 2005 yeah and we filmed this in 2017 so 12 years had passed since they were you know on good terms and it was clear they had never talked about the differences they had with the jets how they came back together the good times together so this three-hour interview that we feature in the film was like a therapy session between yeah. them. And I, I didn't have that expectation. I thought, oh, they've they've rehearsed what they're going to say, and all. And you see during the film, oh, they're figuring this out as they're going. Yeah, and it, it, they don't seem like two guys that have spent a lot of like philosophical, you know, digging into their emotions. The best part was toward the end, and I, I mean, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it yet, but. Um, there was a part where were you asking some of the questions there at the end? Was that yeah, you or was, was it? okay? Where you ask, is it love? And they both kind of like shifted in their seats. <laughs> or, I mean, for me, and they both kind of said, well, for me it is. And then you said, have you ever told each other that you love each other? And then that that that's where they drew the line. Well, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna kiss and you know hug it out or anything. But yeah. but they said yes. Well, I knew that I was gonna ask that question from the very start. Uh, it, it was the last question on my list, and every producer who I showed the list of questions to at NFL Films said, you're nuts if you ask that question. You're going to ask Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells if they love each other? You're insane. Uh, but I knew I, I wanted to, and it turns out it was the perfect question because, you know, in America especially, we don't really talk about how we feel about coworkers, how we feel about people we spend a lot of time with. You know, we spend more time with people we work with in close situations in industries like football, in industries like filmmaking, maybe in radio. Judd, I love you, man. There you go. I'm not going to hug you. I'm not going to kiss you. 
I'm like Parcells. <laughs> Yet we never say those things, you know? Like, we, we, we know more about our coworkers sometimes than our, quote, real friends. We certainly spend more time with them. For sure. Um, and we're closer to them. Why do we keep them at a distance? And these guys have those deep feelings and you know it's a complicated relationship here's what i thought was so great parcells is parcells he's an older you know he's he's now mellowed out some but he's still parcells belichick was fantastic yeah when bill belichick pulls away that layer and starts to give you what he when you took him into the into the room where he spent so much time, and I could hear him starting to choke up, and then he basically admitted to you, hey, it's tough. I spent so much time here. It's tough not to start crying or get emotional. That stuff was phenomenal. I mean, there is a layer of Belichick that you got that when you get it, because this is a brilliant man, but there's a layer there that we so rarely see, and you uncovered it, and I thought that was great. He has that layer. I think as he gets older it comes out more i think he's recognizing what he's done in his career and it's not very often that he shows it but i think as he whenever he moves on and that could be 25 years from from now from for all i know he's going to become the elder statesman of the national football league the way john madden's been for so many years i mean he is he will be the nfl and he understands his place in history, I think, and, and he he gets emotional about it because he knows there's a lot of people that helped him get there. And so when he tears up about the Giants' experience and when he expresses the, the gratitude towards Bill Parcells in that interview, which I couldn't believe he did as much as he did, really expressing how much he owes Parcells, I think he's recognizing a sort of... Um, Mortality, uh, if not a, a, a life mortality, a football mortality that, you know, he's closer to the end than the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Ken Rogers is our guest here. If, if you get a chance sometime to watch the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The Two Bills, it's outstanding. Judd and I both think it's one of the best that's ever been made. Um, and Ken has been, you know, Ken directed this, and he's been working with NFL films for a number of years. And so, and even Hard Knocks, we can talk about Hard Knocks too. But I, one thing, and we did a segment on this yesterday, you think about the butterfly effect of, of the what-ifs. And as, as people who follow the Vikings here, Bill Belichick verbally accepted a job to work for Les Steckel's staff. Les Steckel took over for Bud Grant in 1984. You know, what would have happened if he doesn't turn back and go back to New York? Does he stay in the Vikings organization? We can, you know, we can dream here in Minnesota. What did you make of some of the intertwining, even throughout the 90s with the Jets, Patriots a couple times, some of the p- potential butterfly effect things? People love that. I mean, the, 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 the 1984 offseason, when you think about what could have happened, Belichick going to Minnesota, what that might have meant for the Vikings of, with him as a defensive coach, maybe moving on and being defensive coordinator, maybe moving on and being head coach, yeah. what that might have meant, uh, what it would have meant for the New York Giants, maybe that them never becoming world champions in, in the 80s, um, what that meant for Parcells, the Patriots, Robert Kraft, Tom Brady. I mean, the butterfly effect is amazing to think of. Um, and you can think back to NFL history and see a lot of that. I, I'm reminded of a 30 for 30 we did Elway to Marino about that draft, and it's filled with that. What if this team drafted that person instead of that person? Uh, it's one of the great gifts of the NFL that you can go back and see these moments. And there's a lot more. You look at Parcell's history and 
had he stuck with the New England Patriots, which he expresses a little regret in this film about not working it out with Robert Kraft, would we be sitting here talking about Parcells as the greatest coach of all time? And, and maybe he'd be retired with five Super Bowls and, and not Bill Belichick. It's certainly possible. Par Parcells attempting to credit Belichick is really interesting to watch because you can tell it's difficult. You can tell because he's the teacher. Like he's trying to he's trying to tell us and you in particular how much he admires what Belichick has accomplished. But you can tell he's going down a path that he's thinking to himself, I'm Bill Parcells still. So I, I found that to be because Belichick to me basically for him cut open a vein. I mean, he's talking about Parcells and he loves him, blah, blah, blah. But when you got Parcells talking about Belichick, it's a slippery slope for him that you can tell he's not entirely comfortable basically saying he's the greatest. Well, Parcells was always the boss. Yeah. I mean, it, he will always look at Belichick as his coordinator. I mean, there was never a time where, where he worked for Belichick. So I think there's a little bit of big brother, little brother thing going on where he'll always see Belichick as a little brother, and he's really proud of him. I think that much is clear, but he always feels like, hey, kid, you know, remember, I'm the one that, picked you up from the special teams room and let you, you know, become a defensive guy, and I brought you along, and I don't think it's in a mean-spirited way, and, and you know, I, I you don't deserve what you got, but just remember, you know, I played a part, and I think Belichick recognizes that he played a part. It's yeah. almost competitive, I think. I think it's naturally competitive. That, that These guys are naturally right. competitive. You know, that's, that's why Bill Belichick, when I asked him as they were driving up to the stadium in the first minute of the film, what do you consider him? Belichick says, I consider Bill Parcells a competitor. And I, I sort of push him and I say, enemy? Enemy? And he just pauses and says, yeah, competitor. And I find that moment incredible. And you'll see it tonight because any anybody else would have said, no, I don't consider him an enemy. And it would have just answered my question. In saying, yeah, competitor, Bill Belichick said to me and the audience listening and watching, no, I chose my words carefully. Didn't you hear me? I said competitor. Yeah. I chose it for a reason. Don't ask me that again. And you're not gonna you're right? not gonna move me off of yeah. what I think. Uh, like I know what I said. Don't don't mess with me. Yeah. And, and I, we left it in because it was so such a force of personality. And everyone chuckles when they see it. They're like, there goes Belichick. But it's very clear that, listen, don't put words in my mouth when it comes to how I feel about Parcells. Yeah. I said competitor. That's what I meant. Amazing. Uh, the documentary is The Two Bills, 30 for 30. Ken Rogers, wonderful job Thank with uh, the whole product. And it Hope was great. Hope great everyone enjoys it. Thanks for the storytelling. Yeah. Back with more from Radio Row, Mackie and Judd at Mall of America. 1500 ESPN and Sprint want to send you to the ESPN campus in Bristol. You and a guest will receive a round-trip airfare to Bristol to get an exclusive tour of ESPN. Sit in during a live taping of Golik and Wingo. Meet Golik and Wingo and more. Stop into any participating Minnesota Sprint store between now and February 9th to enter to win this trip that money can't buy. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword Sprint. And this portion of Mackie and Judd brought to you by Metafast. And also brought to you by Garage Logic. 
The, you the, know, the official broadcast partner of the Mackie and Judd show. All I ever hear is more GL. I love Joe. So we try to give you more GL, and we get inundated with complaints about GL playing during we our show. We thought we could spike our ratings and revenue by just blending in Garage Logic underneath our interviews here at Radio Row. That's Seemed like thought. a great idea at the time. I'll own it. That's my fault. So we we sat down after yesterday's show at like, oh, I guess at 1 o'clock right away with Ken Rogers, which was a great interview. But apparently, when you were listening on the stream, yep. you could hear like Garage Logic bleeding through at an equal volume to us interviewing Ken Rogers. So, apologies, it's my fault. I set up the recording, and apparently, we didn't turn down the return feed enough. Yeah. Where GL your was intentions, broadcasting your intentions were very good. So, you gave it a shot. I don't know. I think you got five endorsements just by having GL bleed into the show, though. Oh, I'm rich now. Judd Zolgad, new here house, for- new boat. <laughs> I am living the lifestyle because GL was playing. membership. Yes. I've been fa- fantastic. My life has never been better. This was the greatest thing of all time. Uh, so, yeah, we saw all your notes. We're sorry. It's our fault. And uh, hopefully you can't hear GL under our show right now because we're live again. That was a taped interview. Yes, yes. Uh, we we be have, good. before we get into that, let's, let's talk some about, there's some interesting things in that interview that people probably didn't hear clearly because they were listening on the stream. Um, write that down at 10 o'clock. We also have John Clayton, the football professor, in about 15 minutes. Thomas Morstead, the Saints punter, who uh, is is coming back to the Twin Cities here today to deliver a $200,000 check to uh, to help fight against children's cancer. That's money that Minnesota Vikings fans donated to his mm-hmm. to his charity. So we'll talk to him. Also, Devin Hester on the show, Todd Furman, superstar. But that two bills documentary. It was so interesting at the end. We talked to uh, we talked to Ken Rogers at the end there about the the love that they have for each other, but that they don't really want to express. Yep. This like yeah, we love each other, but we're both very you know, we both have egos, and we're both you know we're not gonna we're not gonna hug it out, or I'm not gonna lay a big wet one on him or anything. That's that's a very good glimpse into their personality. I said this to Ken too. Uh, to me, Parcells is Parcells. He I think he's mellowed out a little bit just because of age. Belichick was the one that surprised me pleasantly. You can tell that, that he looks at Parcells as, as almost a football father in some ways. And the respect that you could see him have for Parcells was really intriguing. The other thing that I found to be just delightful and funny was at the very end when, uh, when they said, okay, now, now you're going to go from the Giants locker room where you've been the entire time to the Jets. And Belichick's like, do we really have to? And he's almost asking, do we really have to? And Parcells is fl- flat out says, I ain't going in there. Let's We're going home. I, know, yeah. I thought that was great. <laughs> and I, I guess Jet, Jets fans are upset. But you know what? That's how they feel about it. Upset about what? Your franchise well, has been a Well, the Jets feel like they're being dissed. And, and I had forgotten, too, that, that the whole thing was that um, the Jets owner had died at the time. And so Belichick, in being sort of given that job is like, whoa, 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 I, I don't know who's going to own this team. I like uh, the Patriots and Robert Kraft more. But when they tried to take him in the Jets locker room, and Belichick's yeah. like, uh, I don't really want to. And Parcells immediately is like, we ain't going in there. Yeah, the other thing I sensed was a little bit of jealousy, a little bit Parcells looking at Belichick. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, if, you know, if this would have happened or that, I think in Parcells' mind, you know, obviously he views... Bill Parcells as his student, the guy that he mentored for two or three decades leading into Belichick, Belichick becoming yeah. the greatest coach of all time. Yep. And I think Parcells looks at that and says, man, if a couple things would have been a little different for me, 
over here, over there. If I would have had a Tom Brady, I, you know, maybe I would have had the five. Or, that, he never said that directly, but he wanted to be respectful, but you could tell there was a little bit of envy there when the guy that you brought up for 15, 20 yes. years sort of surpasses you in the pecking order. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, Parcells was definitely trying to credit Belichick, but there got to be a point where, where you could sort of see the look was like, yeah, but, you're, but I still got you your job. And, yeah, it was very – it was obvious – that Parcells feels, and I think Parcells' biggest thing is he knows he knows now that he should have tried to smooth things out with Kraft because the Jets thing didn't work. And so, because I, I had for forgotten, I thought it was with the Giants, I had completely forgotten that the whole, if I'm going to uh, cook the, the meal, I want to go grocery shopping line had come from the Patriots time. I was thinking that was Giants, but that was actually when Kraft tried to get mm -hmm. involved and Parcells like, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm the guy here. And Kraft's like, no, I own the team. And well, the, he brought that lineup. The other interesting dynamic is the timing. So Bill Belichick, right after the Super Bowl was over, 1991, took that job in Cleveland. He was the hot coordinator commodity, and he, and he winds up taking the job right away in Cleveland. Well, Bill Parcells waited four months to step down from the Giants job. And, of course, reporters asked him, hey, did you have any conversations with Bill Belichick about the fact that you were going to step down? I mean, maybe he would have wanted to be the Giants coach. And I'm sure if you would have asked Bill Belichick at the time, hey, Parcells is going to retire or step down, do you want the Cleveland Browns job or the Giants job? No, maybe he would have wanted to step out of the shadow and, and, and go carve his own path yeah, anyway to Cleveland. Yeah. But I think I lean toward him taking that Giants job in 1991 going into 1992. I agree. And we'll never know. And now the question becomes this. Is Sunday Belichick's last game with the Patriots? I wonder if Todd Furman, had, we're going to talk to him in an hour, if he has odds on that. I, I think it is. like official sports I think it is. I think it is. I think I think that, that the same thing, thing that eventually happened with uh, with Kraft and Parcells pretty quickly has, has happened here over the course of what now, 15 years, 18 years? Mm -hmm. That the Brady, that basically Kraft said, all right, th this is Brady's team. I'm siding with Tom. If Tom thinks he can play till 45, that's fine. And Belichick, who's a very smart guy, said, all right, he's really good, but he ain't playing till 45. Well, I, yes, and I'll add to that, too. Put yourself in Bill Belichick's shoes for a second. Do you want to win or lose? I mean, if, if they win, it's an easy way to just ride off in the sunset and be done. Especially if you lose, though, do you want to have to come back with a 41-year-old quarterback that you've already been skeptical of in terms of his longevity and when's, when's the cliff, the age cliff, going to come and catch up and have to go identify a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, maybe you lose another coach or two in the fray somewhere to coordinator jobs or something. Mm -hmm. Do you want to have to reassemble the top part of your coaching cabinet and also have really no viable backup option to Tom Brady for the future. Mm -hmm. That's that's a or, lot to take on in an offseason after all of the stories that came out and all the potential strikes. Or do you want to walk away, eventually uh, figure that Brady's going to start to struggle, be proven right, sit out, let's say, one or two years, and then come back and get paid a boatload to be a savior somewhere? What is he now? He's like in his mid-60s, right? He's yep. like 65. I, could, I could see him coming back as a GM type. I could see him coming back and saying, I'll, I'll hire my guy that I like as my coach. I will run the franchise and get paid a billion dollars. The basically. only thing I would say about that, and I could see him doing that, but I don't know if it'd be as successful because one of his strongest assets is teaching. 
his ability to take guys, undrafted guys. We talked about it earlier this week. He has 18 undrafted free agents on that roster. To take guys, mold them, teach them, and really get his... You know, he's not just sitting on top of a perch and all of his assistants are handling the grunt work. It's a little like Phil Jackson. You know, Phil Jackson, his value was being there on a daily basis and helping to mold a team and bring egos together. And if you're sitting up in a boardroom somewhere and you're not traveling on the road and you're not in the locker room, you're not at practice every day, you're not hands-on with guys... Are you really as valuable? No, I'd still take him as my. Like, I was don't get say, me wrong. Some, yeah, I'll somebody still would take him as a pay him president a of football operation. Do that. Yeah, I mean that's what Bill Bill Parcells did in Miami, right? Not yes. necessarily super successful. And but. it seems it seems like uh, very successful coaches like to end that way, right? As sort of executive vice president of football ops. Yeah, it's a great gig. And it's you get paid a ton. Not and as taxing. You make a lot of money. Exactly. And you make personnel decisions, but you don't have to coach every Sunday. You don't have to coach practices. Yeah. Tom Coughlin doing it in, mm-hmm. and yeah, in Jacksonville right now. Very successful. Yep. All right. We've got three more hours of Radio Row Madness to go here on this Friday. Coming up next, one of our favorite segments, Write That Down Predictions and an Accountability Session live from Radio Row, and then we have the football professor John Clayton at 10.15, Saints punter Thomas Morstead at 10.30, Todd Furman for pros or Joes and other prop bets and different, we can even talk about quarterback landing spots with him too. I'm sure he's got some odds on Kirk Cousins. I've sure. seen some some different sports, uh, sports books come out with that. Yep. Uh, Jerry is right, Devin Hester, superstar Mike Morris. It's a jam-packed show. Mackie and Judd.